Welcome to Our Connected World, a podcast series from TE Connectivity featuring straight talk for engineers about today's technology trends and the technical challenges in driving innovations crucial to making the world safer, sustainable, productive, and connected. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Connected World, a podcast brought to you by TE Connectivity. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. Welcome to another episode of the program. You know, mining for resources on moving asteroids, the colonization of Mars, commercial space travel, the future of outer space is no longer science fiction, and TE Connectivity is helping to write a new chapter in humanity's next frontier. So in this episode, we're going to be taking a deeper look at the latest advances happening right now in space and how cutting-edge technology helps make all of this possible. So joining me for this discussion is Matt Michelanis from TE Connectivity. Matt, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Tyler. It's good to speak with you once again. Absolutely. Happy to have you back on the show. So Matt, for people who maybe haven't heard your previous episode or are learning a little bit more uh, about what you do, tell us a little bit more about how you ended up in your current position at TE and give us uh, some info on your background in the space industry. Okay. So TE Connectivity, we connect all things, I would say, electrical and even with light through like fiber optics. So we're one of the the world's largest connectivity suppliers. And I came to work through T Connectivity in a company uh, that was acquired by Tyco, which was called AMP, which stood for Aircraft Marine Products. And I came back in 1994, started designing and developing connecting systems, connectors. And today I am working in our aerospace and defense uh, sector. Uh, I've been working in in this since around 2008, so quite a, quite a bit of uh, years focusing on aerospace and defense applications. My position is an engineering fellow, so that is, you know, a pretty broad uh, scope of work with connectivity products, from wire and cable products to uh, the power switching products to the connectorization of all this and the sensors that we connect as well. So some of the work you're doing, obviously, is is really vital to the growth and the development of some of this technology that we're seeing. What do you see coming on the horizon for the space industry, Matt? Yeah, well, the space industry is very exciting right now. And it's almost every day you hear of different news in space. And uh, most recently, you see some non-government participants in space that are doing some very exciting things and and really innovating from the launchers to satellites to space travel beyond Earth and all the things that make that happen. So it's very, very exciting. I think in the next probably decade or so, you'll see exciting things like going back to the moon, even colonizing other uh, areas in space. So we're looking at you know, some near-term stuff with um, next-generation internet in space. Uh, we're looking at ways to develop a space station that could orbit the moon. And then even exploring things like asteroids for uh, certain rare minerals that might either be hard to get here on the Earth or per- perhaps limited supply here. So a lot of very exciting things that I think we'll see in the future. So tell us a little bit more about resource harvesting. What is it and how does it apply to space technology as you see it? Yeah, that's a great question. So space harvesting includes uh, finding rich deposits on something like a large asteroid. And we've already identified some of those. So the question is, how do we 
identify what's on them, uh, what's the value of those elements, and how do we use them. And if you think about things like batteries or some of the electronics and the supply chain of that has been a little bit unstable lately, or the question is, you know, how do we do things like electrifying even propulsion and, and all the batteries that could be used and, and being responsible with our planet as well. So if you can find that type of material on an asteroid uh, that's just floating out in space, it's a very, very nice way to gather that type of resource, bring it back to Earth, or, or maybe a place like the moon where you can process it and then uh, ship it back to our planet or, or you know, make batteries in, in less harmful environmental ways. So that's one of the things that, you know, we're looking at is, A, how do you get there? How, how do you do that type of mining and, and bring it back and, and do the transport of it? And I, I think really create a, an optimistic look for resource management in the future. How do you see this affecting the future of space exploration and, and colonization? Well, when you think about being a multi-planet type of humanity, one of the things we were looking at is uh, what type of, of planets are available or what type of terrestrial places are, are or interplanetary places are available. So one of the things we're looking at right now is the moon. And the moon is about 250,000 miles away. So it is pretty far away. Most of our satellites are flying about 250 miles above the earth. So it is a significant effort to even get to the moon. Uh, so if we could have a way to escape our earth's gravity, land on a maybe a, a base station or maybe a lunar station, one of the things we're looking at is the lava tubes on the moon and inside the lava tubes could be things like caverns and places to make a sustainable place for humans to live. So we have a lot of other issues to, to think about, like how do we generate power uh, using things like solar and then connecting uh, these different worlds with uh, ways to communicate and ways to power uh, those habitats. So at TE, we're looking at uh, making connectivity in rugged environments, and and that is uh, different things like antennas, things like fiber optics, things that would power exploratory rovers. And we've already done this in, in places like Mars. So the Mars rover, we have different products on there, like the, the power switching products that can turn components on and off for the rover. So it, when you think about commercial space travel, what, what are the engineering requirements that need to be addressed that differ maybe from traditional spacecraft designed? You know, for, for example, are there oxygen requirements that need to be reconsidered and things along those lines? Yeah, anything that goes into space, um, it's a very, very harsh environment. And we start with thinking about getting an object from our planet outside of its gravity, which... Um, that means we need things that are lightweight. We need things that are miniaturized, things that are power efficient. Um, so the the energy need to to power something is minimized. But also the the chemical composition is very very important, and it ranges from the the temperatures things can survive, the radiation tolerance of devices. Also, uh, with metals, do they form crystals in electronic components, which could create sh short circuits or power failures? And with 
other materials like the plastic materials, uh, one of the, the things we, we make sure is it has, if it's in a space station, uh, flame and smoke and toxicity, if it ever overheats, it doesn't smolder and create toxic fumes. But also just generally speaking, uh, we have a requirement for outgassing. And outgassing is similar to when you get into a new car, you smell that new car smell. That is outgassing of, of some of the parts of those compounds of those materials. So the question is, what happens to them? Uh, do they deposit on surfaces that might be like an optical lens that would require cleaning if too many things would outgas and deposit on it? Or, you know, what is the nature of that uh, chemical that's being emitted in, in outgassing? So those are some of the things that when we think about the requirements and then you get into uh, like in a solar panel, uh, which could be exposed to the sun, high degrees of radiation and may also be exposed to the sun and then the shadows, for example, of the backside of a planet or the moon. Uh, very, very hot and cold extremes. Sometimes it's ranging plus 200 to minus 200 C. So as things go through that type of temperature cycling, what happens? Does it crack? Does it become brittle? You know, there's a lot of things to consider with those temperature environments. So what sorts of factors do you believe will drive commercial space travel, will drive that kind of adoption? Do you think there are factors that um, will maybe help push that along? Yeah, so the commercialization of space comes down to a few important things, and a big one is cost. You know, what does it cost to get a, a spaceship or a person up, you know, into orbit? And that cost is very high. It's generally in historically speaking terms, it's been about $10,000 per pound. And the cost to sustain someone outside of our planet is very expensive as well. And, you know, there's numbers that they would say it could cost about a billion dollars per astronaut to get them into space. So when you think about cost, what drives costs in the in the historical sense, it's been many one-time use rockets. And if you can reuse either rockets or components that can survive a, a launch and return to Earth like some of our new space companies are doing, that's a very, very significant way to reduce cost. Uh, reliability is another big one. Um, failure definitely is not an option uh, when you think about human life and, and getting things into space. So you, you never want to lose any type of payload uh, when it leaves our planet. And so survivability uh, with launching and then make, sh make sure things work once they're up in space. So the reliability is something that we have to make sure we do the proper testing and evaluation of any kind of product that we would put into a harsh environment and a very difficult to repair or maintain environment. So tell us a little bit more about the role that TE is playing then. What is TE doing to support technologies for these types of space missions and that sort of thing? Yeah, that's another good question. So what does TE do is we make very good qualified airspace cable. So the, the cabling systems that are used, the sensors that are connected to the cables, the connectors, the things that switch things on and off, which are our contactors and relay products. Uh, there's adhesives in those products. Um, so a lot of the fiber optic. So there's laser 
communication that's happening right now in space with uh, going back to the Earth and even inter-satellite uh, communications with, with lasers. So those are some of the, the opportunity areas for TE. We make many of these products already in space, and, and some of these are, are new frontiers for us. And as, as we think about some of these new applications, whether they're for space exploration or space travel, um, these, uh, this is where TE is getting involved with new product development. You mentioned a little bit more about this earlier, but I wanted to ask a little bit more in depth. What are some of the concerns that still need to be addressed in making commercial space travel a viable option? You know, with the constellation of LEO satellites currently in orbit, this could be a challenge. And I'm assuming interference might also come into play. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, today every house is essentially wired for uh, power and also communication. And uh, years ago, you know, every house had phone lines and nowadays the landline is less and less common it's still still are wired so when you think about uh, the cable systems for your internet and hard to reach areas so one one of the the spaces to enable uh, next generation internet is through satellites so there are low earth orbit constellations being developed that will give us some redundancy uh, or maybe access, for example, if you live in a hard-to-reach area or for some reason your internet gets compromised on, on the terrestrial level, you'll be able to make contact through out, outer space through the, the internet there. So, you know, some people ask about, well, is there a lot of uh, content going up there? How do we manage that? And we have to be responsible with the amount of content, the uh, the way it gets used, the the length it survives up in space, and even from the reliability standpoint, you know sometimes you have upgrades that you'll know will happen, and and sometimes those the lifespan of satellites are designed such that they will be obsolete, and they just they will let them naturally um, burn up as they enter the atmosphere again. And then they'll re- replace those with new satellites with newer technology. And finally, we'll, we'll start to wrap up with this. Uh, do you see lasers playing a, a role in enabling communication in uh, commercial spacecraft? Is that something that you see happening? Yeah, so lasers are, are definitely happening. There's some funding on some NASA projects with some optical communication devices for lasers. And that's communicating back to Earth. It's also communicating from one satellite to another. And the nice thing about lasers is compared to RF signals, which can either be intercepted or interfered with, lasers, you know when you have a signal and you know when you don't. You either have the light or you don't have the light. And so it's a very good way to transmit high-speed data, also a way to have another level of security uh, using laser technologies. It can also be used for high power lasers if if something needs to be, whether it's an asteroid or perhaps a some type of a, a missile system that could uh, be, be threatening. Uh, laser systems can be used for those purposes as well. Excellent, excellent stuff, Matt. Any final thoughts that you want to leave with the audience today, just about uh, the future of space travel and and what sorts of things are, are coming around the corner? Anything else that you want to leave our audience with here today? Yeah, I would say some of the the things that again that we're seeing. It's exciting to to see the opportunity for space travel to be within reach, and um, some of the new the vehicles. I think some of the innovations 
like the reusable first stage rocket engines. And in the future, I, I think we've all seen how that could be maybe uh, risky to depend on someone else to get our astronauts back and, and forth to space. So that's where the some of the new providers for space travel, I think, are giving more and more options and are doing some very, very innovative things with space travel. Excellent, excellent stuff. Matt Macalanis from TE Connectivity. Matt, thanks so much for joining us here for another episode of the podcast and telling us a little bit more about what's right around the corner when it comes to space travel. Thanks, Tyler. Take care. Talk to you soon. Absolutely, absolutely. And everyone out there, thank you for joining us for another episode of Connected World, a podcast from TE Connectivity. We appreciate it very much. Of course, for more, you can always subscribe to the podcast or visit te.com to stay up to date with the latest and stay tuned. We'll be back soon with new episodes of the show. But for Matt, I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for tuning into our conversation. You can learn more about the solutions we discussed today by visiting te.com, where you can connect with our engineer support teams and sign up for Circuit, our monthly trends newsletter featuring a selection of articles on tech innovation written by engineers for engineers. To find out more, follow us on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Podcasts, as well as LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, think big, move fast, and make every connection count.